What do CEOs need to know about sales these days? A lot. Outdated sales strategies and tactics plague most companies today. Listen to what innovative CEOs and experts have to say about how to change all that with Sales Talk for CEOs. All right, today I'm excited because I am talking to someone who actually lives in the Bahamas. But that is not the most interesting thing about Adam Miller. Uh, the most interesting thing is that about 28 years ago, he figured out that all of those CEOs out there who want to elevate their sales to increase their valuation, same group that I work with, they all need some help driving revenue, but not just driving revenue, driving it predictably so that it's not up and down and we're always in a panic. Is it going to be up or is it going to be down? Is our sales team going to meet their number or are they not, right? We don't want to guess anymore, Adam, do we? Definitely not. <laughs> Definitely not. So Adam Miller from Elevate, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Alice. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So yeah, hopefully so we can have some really... Yeah. Yep. Live in the Bahamas. Um, you can see the palm yeah. trees behind me. Um, I so do. It's a wonderful yeah. sunny day. And but where are you from originally? And then how did I, I know I'm deviating here, you guys, but I just have to hear this. I want all of you to hear this because we could all live in the Bahamas if we wanted to, I suppose. Right. But we live where we live. So where did where are you from and how did you get to the Bahamas? So originally from Bristol in the UK, um, which is uh, which is you know, a lovely place. The weather can be a little bit dreary. Um, lived in Ireland for a couple of years um, where the weather was even drearier. And <laughs> it, it was where originally that I had a, a palm tree on my office, on the back of my office door with a sandy beach. And it wow. said, one day I will get there. Um, which finally, after about 20, 20 years, I got there. So, um, so you know, we, 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 we have a base in the Bahamas and we do a lot of work in the US and in South America and in Europe as well, in Asia. So it's a great place to be. The sun shines yeah. a lot of the time. I love it. I love it. And I think it truly is such a global community now in business. And we, we really can live anywhere we want and do business. So I love that you are doing that. So let's talk about Elevate. Uh, what does Elevate do? I mean, I kind of briefly stepped into it, you know, driving revenue, but say a bit more about that. So basically what we do is we help organizations in two main areas. So um, if you look at it, companies either want to you know, grow their existing revenues within existing accounts, or they actually want to you know, gain market share and drive new logos into their business. The approaches are very different. And then you have technology and approaches and you know, data and all the other things, analytics that wrap all around that as an enabler. So we help them understand what their North Star is, and then we help them actually achieve what they're looking to do. Wow. So that's important. And I think that most of the CEOs that we know are absolutely up for doing that. So 28 years ago, or approximately there, you were doing what when you got this idea to start a company to help other companies drive revenue? So I come from a very different background than sales and marketing. So I'm actually a carpenter and joiner by trade. Um, my, I, I worked in my, my parents' family business for a while. And my parents were, you know, had a group of companies that was always interesting to be around. And I, I very much fell into th this business in terms of where we are now. Um, I was basically working as a 
part-time for a telemarketing company over 30 plus years ago. Um, and they were the, one of our, one of our customers was a software engineering company, which just happened to be owned by Deloitte or got taken over by yeah. Deloitte. Um, unfortunately the company that I worked for went bankrupt. Um, and then they came in and said, Hey, do you want to be a consultant? And my, my brief was you make money, you stay, you don't, you leave, you're on a day to day contract and off we go from there. And then about six months later, they said, uh, we need you to go to London. And I said, unfortunately I can't do that. And they said, well, can you set up a company and consult? I was like, yep, absolutely. And that was the start of Elevate as it was back in 1995. Wow. Yeah, I started in 94. So we started around the same time. And interesting because you probably never would have guessed based on what your parents did and what you were doing that you would be helping other people increase their sales. Yeah, I think it was um, it was something interesting my father said a long time ago. He said, never worry about the money, just make sure your customers are happy. Um, and I think that was ingrained into us from a very young age, which was very interesting. And you can see it now as I spoke to the team um, earlier today, you know, it's very much part of our culture. And we can come on to that a bit later about how we bring that into our sales process. Yeah, I love that. All right. So you were consulting. You had already been doing some business helping others with, was it prospecting or what specifically were you doing when you first started consulting? So back in the day, I mean, I'd, I'd always been a bit of a hustler. Um, I started my first company when I was, uh, well, I used to play squash for England and I used to go around the, uh, the tournaments and sell squash racket grips for my sponsor. Um, and then I started restringing rackets at 15, 16, and basically anything to do to, to, to drive some revenue and money um, into my pocket. So it was, uh, you know, I ended up on the building sites as a family tradition. And then it was like, okay, you know, I was always really listening to the customer, trying to figure out their problems, um, love solving problems. So when, when I actually start all the way through my career, it's always, you know, what's your problem? I'll fix it. Um, and that was where the organization was founded from. I love that. I have always said that sales is problem solving. And if you just simply look at it that way, you will always be successful. When you look at it as anything else, it just simply doesn't work. And that's why so many sellers are not able to do what they need to do because they think that selling is convincing someone else to do something or, you know, getting your product placed somewhere or you know, they just don't understand that selling is solving. And when you solve, you sell. It's so simple. Then there's no, I need some closing techniques because I can't get deals <laughs> closed, right? Yeah. Um, so when people say things like that to me, I'm like, wow, well, what are you doing? Because like closing started when you uncovered whether there was a fit between the need and your solution. And if there isn't, of course, you're going to have trouble closing. You know, if you didn't understand the problem thoroughly, of course, you're going to have trouble closing, right? So I love that you and I really are on the same wavelength with that. If you can solve people's problems, they're, they're going to buy from you. Um, so I think that's, that's incredible that, uh, anyway, we both have that in common. So you grew the company up, you were, it was just you, but it's not just you anymore. So I know that was a long time ago, but kind of take us on the journey. Like you were doing all the selling, obviously at first you had this contract, you know, which yeah. was great. So that probably helped out quite a bit. That's the same thing. When I left, um, Miller Hyman in the beginning, I had a contract to still work with some of the customers. So that was 
a little bit of an easier way to start a business. You've already got yeah. some clients, right? So where did it go from there and how did you grow your sales and kind of take us through like, okay, I needed to start adding some people, you know, and yeah. how you did that. So, you know, it, 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 in the in the in the beginning, it was me and there was a couple of other people that you know, that actually did the work and I did the work um, in terms of, you know, actually doing you know, what we did um, as we started to grow that I think one of the, the most interesting things was is that, you know, we, we have a I built a culture where it's constantly learning and teaching and, and kind of passing on knowledge. So, you know, we all sat in the same office. It was through osmosis. And then it was like, okay, can you talk to this customer? So it was a period of time where we, we I kept handing off more and more. Um, the company got bigger and bigger. And, you know, I wanted to, you know, I, I got really upset with working, you know, 18 hour days um, and weekends and doing everything like that. So I think, you know, I learned, you know, sometimes not not quick enough um, that, you know, we had to pass more knowledge over um, and then kind of look at the best way to do that. So it was always embedded in the culture to make sure that we recruited the right people that had a kind of a real customer centric approach to them. And that sounds a bit kind of cliche, but it was like, really, do they care about the work? So one of the things we've never done is we've never worked on commission, which is really strange for um, the, our type of organization. Um, and my response was, we're either the best at what we do or we don't do it and you don't stay in the organization. Um, and our customers seem to like that. And that was the culture that we built back then, which still stays true today um, in terms of that. Yeah. So in the beginning, like many organizations, it's just sort of everybody doing everything and then maybe hey, you do this, you can learn to do that, right? Not a plan of how we're going to grow our sales organization, but now you are really specific about how you have built your sales organization to serve your customers. So you grew and grew, sales grew, because you were good at what you, what you did, you uh, promised and you delivered, and the customers stayed happy. When did you get to the point where you really started to strategize on what your sales organization should look like and how to build that so that it really served your customer? It's definitely been a journey. I think today there's a lot more information and training available than there was 30 years ago. Um, I can remember reading strategic selling and, you know, telling my team to, you know, you must read this book. And, you know, that was like, you know, the, you know, the, the, the economic buyer and the influencer and the coach. And it was like, okay, how do we do this? I think ideal customer profile back then didn't even exist. Um, you know, I, I think when I, when I started the organization, I was literally 23 years old. So I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, you know, and not coming from a sales background, it was like, I had no idea what a hunter or a farmer was, or, you know, kind of, you know, what, what we needed. So we, we had some epic fails along the way. We hired the wrong people who weren't actually customer centric or, you know, they uh, completely underpriced deals and that type of thing. So it was a real journey. I think as, as we came to start to realize, we, we actually scaled back at one point and actually got, you know, said, we're not having any dedicated salespeople. Um, and we went on a journey to say, we recruited very young, very smart people. Um, so I think two of the best sales performers that we had were under 22 years old. 
Um, wow. They were kind of nearly fresh out of, um, of college. They spent massive amounts of time with me for like a three month period. We used to train every morning and every evening um, unpaid and it was brilliant. They were absolutely phenomenal. And they took on our largest accounts and we, we kind of figured it out. And they were just really passionate and really sharp about providing value for the customer. And they could talk about what we did because they actually did the work as well, which was great. And I think that was one of the most interesting things is they really knew what we did and the intricacies. And then we started to kind of write that down so that we could replicate it as we started to move forward and, and help other people come on the journey very quickly. So it, it was interesting. I mean, you know, it was yeah. a very, there were some very expensive lessons in there to get it wrong. But I think nowadays with the, with the knowledge and the, and the internet, and I say that like I'm really old, um, you know, we have the internet now. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot more available than there was back then. Yeah, you know, funny thing, I think you will agree with me, even though there's a lot more available, uh, either they're not using it or they're not choosing the right information because <laughs> there are so many sellers out there that yeah. don't really understand how to approach a customer, how to ask good questions and really listen, how to add value to the conversation and how to look for that fit that we, we were just talking about so that they can solve, right? And then to understand that not everyone is going to be your customer. Sometimes you find out it's not a good fit and it's okay to walk away, but they have yeah. so much pressure on them from their sales leaders who have so much pressure on them from their CEOs who have so much pressure from their investors, right? Yeah. That they just have such bad behavior and, and really in some cases, zero business acumen to even be able to understand how to have a conversation with another human being, right? Yeah. So yeah. Um, it's interesting. And I know uh, other uh, CEO founders who have had huge success doing what you did, which is find really smart people who are driven and have passion and want to learn and yeah. hiring them, even though they have zero sales experience. I believe that sales skills are all teachable, right? There, yeah. there isn't a thing that you can't teach in sales. Yeah. Although some people, you know, will disagree with me. I can teach you how to sell if you have a good attitude and you want to do it. Yeah. And uh, I think you said so, it there. It's, it's the attitude. Um, you have to have a good ad attitude. Yeah. So it sounds like you really did find good people. And that's one of the hardest things I think to do when you're growing a business. But what just also uh, kind of came to my mind when you were talking is, you've been doing this hybrid for a long time. Like everybody's out there talking about hybrid selling, right? Should they come in the office? Should they not come in the office? Where are they housed? But you're in the Bahamas and your sellers are not in the Bahamas. No. So talk a little bit about building a team starting from scratch that wasn't all in your own backyard. Yeah, so we've been working remotely for whew, a long time, between 15 and 20 years. Um, so if you, you know, I started working remotely in 2000, in 2000, actually. Um, so over, over 22 years. So I think, you know, that there's, a, it's, a, it's a really important thing to, to have face to face time with, with the customer. Um, but I think that, that, you know, whether you're doing it remotely or whether you're doing it in person, you can still keep in touch with people. 
Um, you know, when, when I first, first started the company, the internet didn't even exist. There was no Google, right. there was no internet. And in fact, there was really no email. Um, I can remember the first dial up. So yeah, it was a long time ago. So I think it comes down to one of the things is, is actually being really interested in your customer and staying in touch with them and actually providing value, whether it's by phone or you know, by email so that you can actually talk to them. So a lot of people, we, we, we had the, you know, the field sales model where you had to go and sell to them. And then we looked at all the differences when we sold you know, over the phone or remotely and the, the, the results were very minimal. Um, what we found with a new customer is that you know, after you've got that fit together, then you can go and see them and spend the face-to-face -face time to develop that relationship even more, um, which is key. So I think there's there's yeah. definitely a place for both, and it, it depends on the the complexity of the sale and you know the the size of the deal and things like that to actually build that trust. I mean, our customers hand over a lot of trust to us when we're working for them, and we take that incredibly seriously. So right. So working with the customers hasn't been a problem problem, and you've been doing that remotely. Uh, funny enough, same with me. Since I started my company, uh, again, it was before the internet or it, the internet was <laughs> just starting, right? We just started having email. You know, we didn't have a lot of things. We had some fancy video conferencing rooms, which are not the same, you know, as what we have today, but you had to literally go in that room, right, to conference. And they yeah. had to have video conferencing set up on their end or, yeah. you know, it didn't work, right? So it was kind of interesting, but... um. I think that if you're if you're asking good questions and adding value, that can be on the phone, it can be on the video like this, it can be face-to-face, -face, certainly. And I do think that customer face-to-face -face time in person is important. But I like what you said, that after you find the fit and you're going to work together, then go and develop the relationship a little bit more. And I do think that today sellers do need to go see their customers along with their senior executives. And in many cases, a CEO should be there as well, depending on the size of the customer and the importance to that particular business. But I'm also curious about how you hired remotely from the beginning, again, early on, right? Where there yeah. wasn't, you couldn't do a video call with them. You just talk on the phone and hire them, you know? Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about how, building a remote team and now having a remote team. And what are some of the things you do to be highly successful in doing that? Because I see a lot of companies not really doing that great with remote workers. We, we, we have a really amazing HR department. We call it people and talent management. You know, I'm, I'm not a great fan of the word HR um, because they are people and you know, talent is incredibly important. So, um, you know, so I, I need to give all the kudos to them in terms of that because they are incredible. We do a lot of psychometric testing um, and we look at recruiting as an art and a science. Um, you know, so people go through psychometrics, they go through tests, they go through lots of different things. And, and what we're looking for is the core, their core value structure that we can't train. Um, you know, so they have to fit with our culture in the organization because we have a very strong culture, which comes over with the testing that the, you know, our, our, our team have put together. And there's some crazy questions um, that we ask them, which kind of throws them off topic. Um, and you can just see, um, you know, sometimes we put the phone down on them and see if they call back or how they deal with it and those types of things, just to see how they deal with some adversity here and there. 
Um, you know, we've we've got. I, I must say, we're incredibly lucky to have a really good team because they all think about the customer in the same way, and they think about their team members in the same way. So on our website, we posted because we work in some pretty um, competitive environments. And we were losing um, team. We were losing on the recruitment to some really big companies. And then I, we, I asked the team. I was like, "Why do you work here? You know, we don't pay you like the best in the industry." And that, you know, they started to say, you know, things like, "You, you care about us." And you know, we started to pull all these things, and we, you care about the customer, and. You, you know, the organization has integrity in terms of the way that it deals with people and the way that we communicate. So we pulled this video together and you know, we posted it on our website and that made, that made a huge difference in terms of the way that the, the people that we attracted, because I think a lot of companies don't want to repel the wrong people. Um, but we, we want to push away the people that aren't actually relevant for our team because, you know, we, a lot of our a lot of our teams say we're like a family. Um, yeah, we really truly do work together, and I think COVID showed that as us as a team more so, you know, than than anything because nobody got laid off in COVID, and you know, people, yeah, we had a really good team that came through. Then it was incredible. That is remarkable. I love the idea of putting that video on your website so that people who are looking for a career. The right people are attracted, the rest are repelled. And I totally agree with you on that. The whole idea is to make sure that the people you don't want don't look and think that's a good job for them. Right? Yeah, yeah. Somehow, get rid of them. Right? <laughs> Somehow get them, you know, use words that will make them go, oh no, that's not me. No, no. Yeah. And I think that I think that's wonderful. And you do have a strong culture. And um, I I met you because of one of your amazing salespeople who is involved in some of the women in sales groups that I'm also involved in with the, the young women, uh, Christina, and she's just so friendly and helpful. And it's obvious to me that she knows how to develop relationships, yeah. even when she isn't in person, right? She's out there networking. I always tell people LinkedIn, it's like a coffee shop if or, or a trade show if you use it properly. I mean, there's people walking by your booth every day. Say hi to them, you know, get a yeah. conversation going, but they fail to do it. But uh, Christina does, and I think she is a shining example of uh, the type of seller that you have in your culture. And it was really wonderful to meet her and to continue that relationship and to have her introduce us and, and uh, get to know more about what you do. So I think that's phenomenal. So can you share with the, all the CEOs listening what your sales organization looks like today, how it's deliberately built out with different players and how that really serves your customer? So we have, we're, we're split into basically everyone in the organization is responsible for you know, customer care um, and also kind of you know, providing value to the customer. So we don't, we, we don't, how can we say? We don't actually love the term sales because a lot of people it has a negative connotation. So the way that we the way that we push everything through the organization is that we say that we all we want to do is add massive value to the to the to our customers, right? And everybody in the organization has a role to play in that. So um, you know, we we have different roles. We have people who hunt, you know, go looking for new business for us, or are slightly more, how could we say, persistent. 
um, in kind of going after um, yeah. that, you know, those organizations. Um, and then we have account managers that run our biggest accounts um, and customer success ma managers kind of wrapped around that. So the hunters go and hunt, they bring in new business. You know, the account managers then strategically look at our customers and, and develop relationships with them. And then, you know, some of our customers are multi-billion dollar organizations on a global basis with, you know, hundreds of thousands of employees. So we have a team developed just to support the customer. And it's not necessarily to sell to them, it's to uncover opportunities. How can we help them on their journey? So, you know, we do that. And then we have people who are just purely wrapped around the customer from a delivery perspective, um, where they're delivering on the work and everybody works together to say, you know, is the customer happy? So we measure, you know, customer temperature kind of constantly. We have lots of meetings with everybody in the room getting together to talk about, you know, what does the customer need? And, you know, what's their North Star? How do we do this for them? You know, obviously there's revenue and goal targets, but one of the things that we do very much is if the customer doesn't have a need, we don't try and sell it to them. You know, and I think that's why our customers, I've known some people for 30 plus years that we're still doing business with. My, a, a lot of our clients have taken us to every job they've had in the last 28 years. Um, you know, so our careers have grown, you know, side by side, you know, I've seen their children grow up from having children to, and it's incredible because we really, we stay in touch with people even when they don't need us. Um, so I think that's a really interesting culture in terms of building your sales org around that because every time that someone goes out and just hits their target, the delivery function of the organization falls over anyway because it's a bad customer coming back to what you said earlier about you know the customer being the wrong fit. Um, you know, so we're, we, we build it like that, but everybody is, is part of the process in terms of d delivering value to the, uh, to the customer. I, yeah, I liked what you said earlier when we were chatting before we started recording that everybody in your company sells, which actually yeah. for you means everybody solves and everybody add value, adds value, right? Because if they don't add value, why are they there? I mean, exactly, seriously, yeah. the customers really don't need anyone who's just checking in. Um, they need value. They need you to help make them successful. And yeah. that's what everyone in your company is focused on. So let's talk about that just for a minute, the customer success piece. How do you measure successful customers? Like, how do you go, check, that one's successful. Yes, another successful customer. Um, and, you know, what does that look like? So, you know, we talked about this earlier too. A lot of companies are counting up how many customers they have when what they should be counting is how many successful customers they have. Yeah. And that's a, there's a big difference. And satisfied does not mean successful. I see companies who say they have satisfied customers based on their NPS scores, but I don't see user adoption and um, I don't see, you know, integration. I don't see people that are shouting from a mountaintop about how great you are. We're making introductions for you. I don't see signs of success. Maybe half the people are using the product and only half of those are really using it to its fullest, depending on what you sell. But um, successful customers are really the true measure. And I think uh, if investors looked at it that way, a lot of companies would be a lot healthier and a lot more sustainable, but we won't go there today. <laughs> Talk about how you um, make sure your customers are successful and what that looks like. 
So we do it in a, in, a, in a couple of ways. So the first thing we always ask our customer is, what is your North Star? What does success look like for you here? You know, so you write proposals and they're, you know, sometimes they're, they're exciting and sometimes they're not, you know, but we say, okay, what, what does good look like for you at the beginning of every piece of engagement that we do? And then we work back from that. And sometimes, you know, we're known for being, um, how could we say, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It eludes me, I'll come back to it. But you know, we're incredibly honest with our customers. Um, so we have a, we have a kind of a, a we're, we're known for being sometimes a bit brutally honest and saying, this is not the way that you should go here. Um, you know, these are all the impacts. Um, we, we, that's the, the word I was looking for, corporate courage. Um, yeah. you know, we would rather them not work with us and us tell them what the right thing is rather than put the wrong solution in. Um, so that, that's a really big thing. I think a big measure for us is will they, would, would they work with us again if they went to another job, um, or in, into a new role? And I think, you know, one of my team said, um, earlier, they said our customer retention rates are insane. You know, I think it's in the, like the 97% quartile, you know, it's like, you know, we, we truly want our customers to work with us for the next 30 years, wherever they go, whatever they do. Um, and we're looking to kind of build raving fans, not just customers yeah. for this week or next, or, you know, in this job, we're, we're really looking to kind of build relationships. And I say this, and I hope I'll be around to say it, you know, for the next 30 years, um, you know, so our customers, you know, all the way through their careers are, are really working with us. So to, to us, it's, you know, sometimes projects don't go quite as they should, but the way that we work together in partnership, because it's never one part of the organization, theirs or ours, that's not actually, you know, we're, we're, we're both working together to get to that end goal. You know, they might not hit their deadlines. You know, we might find a blocker that comes yeah. here. You know, and we work together to do that. So I think a lot of it's also about the relationship we build on the journey with them to be very intimate. We become them when we're working with them. And I think that's really important. You know, they're not a number. You know, they're, they're not a revenue target. They're actually people. And on our video on our website, we say, you know, we, we, we hold the key to their, their success, their promotion, their sometimes their demise if we get it wrong. You know, they're betting a lot on us and they need to trust us. And that's why you get that corporate courage from us because we actually get in the fight with you and actually get it done. Um, so I'd say success is is knowing that they're going to keep working with us through thick and thin as well. Yeah. What kind of uh, check-ins do you do along the way? So you, you have your hunters go out and get a new customer. They come in, they're beautifully onboarded. Uh, do you check in there? Do you check in again after the onboarding, once the work has begun? Tell us about how you continually check to see if they're feeling successful. So we, we always have a project lead. Um, so the salespeople hand it over to the, the, the delivery team. Um, and that's a joint handover. So everybody kind of gets together in terms of building the relationship, um, even before we've won the deal. Um, so we'll introduce the delivery team a lot of the time prior to the deal, you know, as, as kind of so everybody's comfortable with each other in terms of that. And then I would say that, um, 
you know, there's, there's generally a project lead and then there's a customer success manager that, so there's always at least two people loving the customer constantly. Um, and then there'll be the, the divisional lead or somebody else checking in with the customer. So if it's a, a large customer of ours, you know, then I will actually go and talk to them. Hey, how's everything going? You know, um, and, and, you know, and talk to them. If I'm in town when I'm on one of my trips, then I'll always go and have a cup of coffee with them um, and talk to them so that we get that honesty back. So, you know, we don't, we don't do net promoter scores in terms of that. Um, and we always tell them we want honest feedback. So I would say in some ways it's a weekly process um, when we're working on mm -hmm. a project um from a kind of a, a review process we might do it once a month but it's, it's definitely we stay very close to our customers to make sure that they're happy in that way wow all right so how big is your sales team now if you consider uh the account executives are going out and finding new customers the account managers who are nurturing and growing your customer success people any other people who are really involved directly with the customer, which I know at your company is everybody, but what do you consider the size of your sales team? I'd probably say our sales team with, you know, dedicated, dedicated sales resource. Um, you're probably looking maybe about three, four people um, in terms of that. That's just purely dedicated. I think as you widen that out, people who talk to the customer, write proposals, close deals, you're probably looking at say 15 to 20 um, yeah. that would actually yeah. kind of bring into that. So because everybody everybody's responsible and the customer says hey can you add that on can you do this it's like yeah sure you know let, let's do it so it actually makes the the job of the you know the hunters or the farmers actually a lot easier because it's a it's very much a team effort not not actually just pushed on one one or two or three or four people yeah that is so important selling is a team sport Maybe, you know, back in the day when we were both young, you know, I know for big enterprise sales, they did send a lone wolf seller out there to conquer the day, you know, hero selling and all that. <laughs> but today, I don't know a company who wants to just meet one person from your company and buy from you. Yeah. You know, they have a group of buyers. You should have a group of sellers, right? So a group of value adders. So yeah. like you said, you yeah. bring your customer success people in early to show them before they've even bought what it's going to be like to work with this team and to move forward with the onboarding and all those kinds of things. Um, it really has to be a team effort these days to really make the customer feel comfortable. And like you've said several times, feel loved, right? So that they, you have the best chance of becoming successful together and the customer really gaining what they need from your product or service that you're delivering, right? And that's really what it's all about. When the <laughs> customer really does well, that's when we win, right? Yeah. So it's it's the, the most exciting part for me when the customer does really, really well. All right, so let's round it up with what's happening next at your company. Where are you growing to, right? Um, how do you plan on building your sales organization out even more? And uh, what are you looking forward to? I think the market is incredibly interesting at the moment. I think we're at the most exciting time that I've seen, you know, since the internet in terms of, you know, sales, marketing, buyer behaviors, the change in, you know, the way that people are doing things and consuming information. I think it's, uh, it's like um, for, for marketing and sales or definitely for marketing, 
it's like a marketing renaissance. Um, you know, never has there been a time for really intelligent consultative marketing, which is at the front of the buyer journey. So we're doing a lot of work on that in terms of how organizations can really add value prior to the customer actually ever coming to them in the beginning. So it, it's really interesting there that the way that people are consuming information and, and making decisions, and they don't want to talk to salespeople anymore. Um, I've even seen my own behavior change dramatically. I'm like, I want to consume everything online. Do you help me? Are you orientated around me? Do you answer my questions? Do you make it easy for me? Or do you just want to have a meeting, talk to me? And, and I'm like, no. So I think the, the sellers need to adapt to that um, in terms of where they get involved in the sales cycle. I think marketing needs to know where they play even more so than they've ever played before. And the, the process of selling needs to be a lot more consultative. I mean, everybody talks about consultative selling, um, but not everybody does it. Um, right. And I think, I think the buyer journey now is very different because people are demanding it. It's like, don't try and push that at me. So what we're doing is, and then you've got all this technology wrapped around it. So, you know, you've got all of these tools and AI is coming in and, and changing, you know, with, you know, with, with those programs and copy and messaging. And it's, it's a minefield. Um, it really is. So we've actually restructured the entire company. We have a, we have an innovation lab, um, which is really interesting. And, you know, because what we've as an organization have seen that companies are having to keep up with this massively rapid shift in, in what, what buyers are doing and they can't do it. So we've been, we have an innovation lab, which constantly kind of measures everything that we're doing as a business, all of our customers are doing, and we're seeing what works and what doesn't constantly. And it changes from month by month and new technologies that come in in terms of the way that you word things and how many emails they need and the channels that you need to go on which is it's fascinating so you've got this whole technology play more so than ever then you it, it's both an art and a science so suddenly you need the artists that come up with the ideas and the creativity and then you need someone with a huge science background to make sure it happens at you know within that and then you need to execute it on it continually so We've got this consulting innovation lab, and then we've got the execution arms of what we do, and they're all feeding into each other. And the customers are, are really excited about what we're doing for them because we're, we're all on a journey in terms of how to best meet the needs of the customer. We call it the Amazon effect. You know, everything's like, we want it now. You know, we yes. want it, you know, we want everything now. Um, and we're not going to suffer non-personalization or not meeting my needs. So it's, uh, it's, it's phenomenal. So we're, we're growing, we're growing about 50% a year at the moment, um, which is wow. incredible. Um, our customers are demanding more and more stuff from us, which is great. Um, but at the same time, we're, we're making sure that things work and talking to them and testing everything. Um, so it's, it's I, I'd say that it's probably one of the most exciting times in the last 30 years that we're encountering now for the people who really want to embrace it. The ones that don't, I think will fall by the wayside. The ones that do will kind of, I hate the term, uh, you know, shoot to the moon. Um, but I think that's how it will happen. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for being on the show today and sharing with me and with all of our listeners, what you've done to make your company successful. I, 
I believe that you're growing at 50% a year and will continue doing so because you really do care about your customers and you really do want them to be successful. So thanks so much for sharing that with us. Now, thank you for inviting me. It's been an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe and we'll see you next week.